I showed you three dimensions of discipleship. The up, connected to God. The in, identity. The out, the mission that Jesus takes us on. And we started by looking at the book of Matthew and uh, the call of the first disciples and Jesus turned up one day and apparently just commanded this group of people to follow me, and they did. Uh, but this command isn't the first time, the first thing that Jesus said to him. Maybe you thought it was. Maybe you think there's literally what happened. Jesus turned up to this random group of people, and he said, follow me, and they all did. Actually, this isn't the first thing Jesus said to them. There was a lot more going on before this call to discipleship ever took place. And so I want to keep looking at the what of discipleship, if you like, but this time from Luke's perspective. So we looked at Matthew, but we're going to look at Luke chapter 5, because what I want us to see today is something very, very simple. And you can repeat this after me, because I'm going to say it lots of times today, that discipleship starts and ends with friendship. Okay, let's say that together. Discipleship starts and ends with friendship. So let's look at Luke's version of the calling of the disciples. And you'll see that Luke, he homes in on Simon called Peter, who, contrary to what you may have thought in the past, was much more than a simple poor fisherman. Because actually Simon Peter was a business owner. He had several partners in his business. He owned a fishing boat and it was complete with nets. And he had a large house near the sea, which it seems was big enough to house his mother-in-law and his wider family. You can see that in the previous chapter, chapter 4. And we can also see that Jesus liked to visit Simon Peter's house. He would go there, he'd drop in on them, uh, he w- became a friend of the family, it seems. He, he would drop in and eat with them and just be with them. And even pe- other people would find out he was there and they'd gather around the door as well. It became a real hub of activity around Simon Peter's house. So Jesus would drop in there with his friends and with most of the town, it would seem. And uh, so, and Capernaum, where Peter lived, it was a good address. It was one of the key trade centers of the region. But obviously there was Roman occupation going on, which meant that it can't have been an easy place to do business in in a state of high taxes and corruption. But when you look at Peter and you see he had this boat, which was probably a 30-footer. That's what they reckon. It was a 30-foot fishing vessel which isn't going to be like the picture I'm going to show you in a minute because nobody else has picked up on this yet. Recent archaeology, archaeological fans have discovered these fishing boats. They're around about 30 feet, along with the large house by the sea and the extended family that lived with him. You can see that perhaps he wasn't short of a bob or two. So when Peter would later say to Jesus, we have given up everything for you, he literally meant it. He'd given up everything. Following Jesus had cost him his business and eventually even his life. But until this chapter, this is background, I hope you're getting this, but until this chapter, chapter 5, just pre-discipleship, he's not yet a follower of Jesus, uh, although he's clearly an admirer, 
and Jesus comes to his house and is a family friend. But he's not a follower of Jesus yet. So what changed? How did Peter become a follower of Jesus? How did Jesus catch the man who caught the fish to catch the men? I worked on that a lot. (laughs) So today, this is Peter's story that I want to look at. And I want to start by retelling the story, and then I might get to read the passage at the end, but I don't know. I might not even read the Bible. Oh, I know. But I've got some great slides, so here we go. So I want to retell the story with a bit of imaginative license. Uh, but uh, it comes from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. So... Okay, by this time, let's have the first slide up. You're going to see these impressive. Look at that. Isn't that impressive? So by this time, Jesus is pretty well known. Lots of people would gather around him and follow him. Uh, he was quite well known in the region. And he was on the beach one day, as so often he was. He liked to walk around the sea, the beach. And a crowd soon gathered to hear what he had to say. And on this occasion, there were so many people beginning to crowd around him that he couldn't make himself heard. And then, then he saw the boats. His friend Peter and partners had just come in from a night on the sea fishing and their boats were drawn up on the water's edge. And there they were cleaning their nets. And the boat was ideal. It was a large boat, had a high front prow. And Jesus thinks that would make the perfect pulpit. Now then, Peter, he goes up to him and says, push me out a bit there. Isn't that great? The acoustics are fantastic on the water. And he begins to teach And Peter doesn't mind at all. I mean, sometimes it's his house that Jesus uses. Sometimes it's his food he eats. And now it's the boat. How great it is is to be able to use his resources like this to serve this great teacher. It's probably good for business too, actually. I hope they can see the logo on the side of my boat. Peter, Peter, whoops, he's trailed off a bit. He's talking to me. Yes, boss. That's how Peter liked to talk to Jesus. He said, Peter, I've finished teaching the people now. I want to give you some business advice. And he says, well, your catch wasn't great last night, was it now? You didn't catch much at all. So here's what I want you to do. Push out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And I can imagine what Peter must have been thinking at this point. Jesus, you're a teacher. I mean, what do you know about business. You've done a bit of carpentry. I know that from your family background, but really, shouldn't you just stick to church stuff? And actually, Peter had been, if he was honest, waiting for Jesus to stop teaching because he's tired. He's been up all night and he wants to go home for bed, but he can't because, well, Jesus and the pulpit thing with the fishing boat. But he doesn't say any of this, but rather he says, okay, you're the boss. When Peter says master, that is literally what he's saying. You're the boss. And because it's you, I'll give it a try. And he pushes out a bit until the water is deep and he lets down his net. And then, no, he can't believe it. The nets are instantly full. Full, actually, there are so many large fish that the nets are beginning to break and the weight of them is beginning to sink the boat. And so frantically, Peter shouts out to his business partners, James and John. He shouts to them back on the shore. He says, look what's happening. Come and help me. 
And they race out to where Peter is. And within minutes, the same thing happens to them. And before long, they're in trouble too. And their boats are beginning to sink. And this is too much for Peter. I mean, this is nothing like he has ever seen. Despite the miracles he's seen in his house, seen in his house, there has been nothing like this. Because in this moment, in this particular occasion, Jesus speaks his language and their worlds have just collided and something clicks. And he falls down at the bottom of the boat at Jesus' feet and he's squirming amongst the wriggling fish and the fear of God comes upon him and he cries out, Jesus, please leave me. Don't ever come near me again because I'm a sinful man. It's okay, Jesus says with a smile. I can use that. I want to make you an offer that you cannot refuse. I've got a business proposition for you. Come and join the family firm. He says, I'm starting a new international supernatural company with only one product, other disciples. Are you in? Instantly, Peter And his business partners wind up the company, leaving their boats and nets on the beach. They don't even look back. They've got a new boss, a boss to die for. So this is what I want to look at, this new boss, this new boss to die for. Uh, I want to look at how did Peter become a follower of Jesus? Because up until this point, as I've said, he wasn't. He was a friend of the family. How did he become a follower? So what happens before discipleship that we can learn from Jesus here? Because it's all about building friendships. So the first thing I want to draw out from this is that discipleship starts and ends with friendship. Uh, I mean, if you just had the accounts of Matthew and Mark, it looks like Jesus just literally turns up one day and commands this random group of people to follow me. And then some unknown force compels them. They leave their boats and nets in a kind of trance saying, yes, master, we will obey. But these guys, you see, they knew each other. I can't actually prove it completely. Uh, You can deduce it more than anything. They've been in one another's homes, certainly in Peter's, we can see that. But perhaps they even went to the same school. They certainly lived in the same town. They maybe even played together as children. They hung out together. So it wasn't a problem, you see, for Jesus one day to suddenly commandeer Peter's boat before he even becomes a follower. They were friends. They knew each other. And you see, the thing is that discipleship is incredibly relational. It's all about living in the same space. It is literally about being in one another's homes. It's about eating together, working together, building friendships. Anybody ever struggle with friendships? Just make friends with people. Well, that's what it's about. It's that simple. That's how it starts. And this happens, this friendship happens and trust begins to get built before there is ever chance of a formal decision to follow Jesus. So I just want to take the burden off you, really, that discipleship starts with an openness for friendship, and then we see where it goes. And this can happen in either a secular or non-secular setting, and it can take years, many years. So just be friends first. 
and stay friends. Don't let the formality even of the idea of a discipleship relationship that may emerge begin to change the basis of the chemistry that brings you together in the first place because discipleship starts and ends with friendship. So, And secondly, I want you to see that friendships like these can happen anywhere. They can cross boundaries of race, religion, secular, non-secular. It can happen in church or a completely non-religious setting. Now, Jesus, first of all, he comes to his home, Peter's home. But now he's in Peter's workplace and he uses his boat as a pulpit to reach out to people, including Peter. Sneakily, he's using Peter's boat to speak to the people to speak to Peter. Because actually this point, at this point, Peter is not actually officially a follower, but a friend. And a friendship that I want to suggest to you, Jesus had invested in for many years. And for all of us too, if we're going to make disciples of all people, which is what Jesus has commanded us to do, we need to do what Jesus did and make friends everywhere. We need to make friends in the workplace. We need to make friends in our communities, in people's homes, get into people's homes, invite them into your homes, get into businesses. And, you know, I just want you to think that maybe that's why you've got the job that you've got. That's maybe why you live where you live, why you do what you do, because actually God wants you to make friends with some people there. Just make friends because Jesus mixes it up, mixes it up. Because this is not a usual place for a rabbi to teach. You know, he's not in the synagogue. He's outside. He's by the sea. He's in the boat. He's on the hill. He's there where the people are. It's not a religious place, but the place of the normal working man or woman. It's a little bit out from the shore, perhaps, but it's in a place where he can be seen and heard. Because, you see, for Jesus, there was no secular, non-secular divide. There wasn't a work life separated from the church life. There wasn't a business world separated from the spiritual world. We can see that Jesus is equally comfortable to enter Jesus, uh, Peter's business address, home address, or the synagogue down the road because it was all about his father's kingdom and taking his kingdom everywhere. And so discipleship, making learners of people, happens everywhere there are people who need friends. How about that? I thought that was a really good point. Discipleship happens wherever there are people who need to make friends. And if you sow into the lie about the distinction between the worlds in your own mind, it will either limit your effectiveness as a Christian in the world, or I want to suggest boldly as a human being in the church. If you see the secular, non-secular, and you become one person at church and one person in the world, and that's the way you think, you're either going to become ineffective as a Christian in the world or you're going to be ineffective in the church. How about that? You just become super spiritual. So don't let this wrong distinction rob you of the opportunity to help people learn about Jesus everywhere, because God will open up friendship opportunities for you wherever you go, if you're open to it. So that's the second thing. Friendships can happen anywhere. And thirdly, friends can come in different shapes and sizes. 
Have you realized that? If you look around your friendship group, they are literally different shapes, different sizes, different personalities, just like the fish that Peter pulled in off the boat. There's no one size fits all in the kingdom. All right. And I just want to get clear right from the start as we talk about discipleship, there is no guaranteed fishing technique for every human being. Because just as every fish is different, so are your friends. And Jesus has tailored a tailored approach for each one of your friends, just as he had with you. I love the fact that when Jesus finishes teaching the people, it's like he finishes teaching the people and then he turns to Peter and he talks to him in a language he understands. He says, now, Peter, about your business. That's kind of how he comes in on Peter. He says, I see your prophets were down a bit on last night's catch. Let me give you some advice. You need to let down your nets again. He went straight into where Peter was at. No doubt what Peter was thinking about, what he was worried about in that moment. How am I going to feed the family next week? And if we're going to disciple our friends, we're going to need to learn to speak their language to help them find Jesus in their everyday lives. And you might even have to find yourself having to speak into areas that you feel completely unqualified to speak into. Now, you might be a single person, but your friend wants to talk about their marriage. You might be childless, but your friend's struggling with raising their children. Your boss might be carrying responsibility you have no comprehension of, and yet you're the one that he turns to, or she. Because, you see, most people turn to their close friends for advice when things go wrong. And so in those moments, you better have some wisdom from God because otherwise it could backfire on you. I don't want to make you afraid in that, in that, what I've said there. I just want you to understand why you're there and the fact that you're anointed. So in those moments when you're out of your depth and you have no idea what you're going to say, don't just make it up. Don't just try and say the first thing that comes into your head like I did on one occasion as a young teenager who thought I could tell the leaders of the church how to run the church in a much better way. And I did it publicly and I didn't do it very well, arrogantly, no doubt, and all the rest. And I still cringe when I think of it even now. They were very gracious with me. And maybe I was practicing for something I now do, but I certainly wasn't qualified for it then. So you better have something from God, not just your own opinions. But you can in that moment say, God, I have no idea what to say. Will you show me? And he'll give you the wisdom that you need in that moment. There was another occasion. uh, I had a friend who was a CEO of an international uh, company. and. I have no experience of being CEO of an international company, although, if you like, the church is intergalactic, but there you go. (laughs) But I had no experience of his particular business world, but as I walked into his office, immediately God said to me, the man in that office is stealing money from the company and he's trying to blame your friend. Tell him about it. So I went into my friend's office and I said, look, you know me. We know each other. I just felt God say as I walked in, and he said, that's impossible. I know that guy. He's been a friend of mine for years. He wouldn't do that to me. I said, okay, just leave it with you. I went back to visit him again three months later, 
And as I walked into the office, I said, I felt the influence had gone. It was clean. The air was clean. I can't explain it. It just wasn't there anymore. So I went in. I said, so that, that atmosphere that I sensed last time, it's gone. What's happened? He said, well, you know, I looked into it after you left and I found out that you were right and I sacked him and we've had to clear that all out. We discovered the problem just in time. I said, well, thanks for telling me. I've been worried about that. <laughs> unqualified, completely unqualified to speak into his world. But because of our friendship, I was able to go in there and just say, look, this is what I'm feeling. And in those moments, you know, your friends don't have to listen to your advice. And don't worry if they don't. Don't worry if you say the best thing that comes into your mind, but they don't even listen. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The fact is that they've asked you for advice. That's important. That's an important part of the friendship. But beyond that, when they do actually listen to your advice, it could be an indication that there is a further level of discipleship being entered into and pay attention because this is a step nearer to a decision to follow Jesus. But be ready to give the advice when it comes. But this was a test for Peter. I mean, Jesus turns to Peter and says, I want to give you some business advice. And, you know, so would this hard-nosed, experienced fisherman listen to the carpenter's son turned teacher? It was a, a test. Are you going to go a bit further with me? Are you going to let me lead you now? Are you going to let me be the boss? And literally, Peter responds and says, Master, which is a funny word because it's not the sort of usual word. It's actually boss. You're the boss. You're my captain. I'm tired, he says, but because it's you. Because it's you, because of our relationship, because I know you, because of our friendship, I'm going to do what you say and I'm going to let down the, nut, the, the nets. But you see, there comes a point in every friendship that we want to see happen, and that's what happened here with Peter, and that is that there's a supernatural dimension that opens up. That's what we want more than anything, is for our friends, not just to be our friends, but to have a supernatural encounter with Jesus, isn't it? And this is about friends of yours becoming friends of God. <laughs> we make friends with people so that they can get to know our best friend, Jesus. And you see, Jesus was no ordinary rabbi. The word of God that Jesus taught came with signs following. And this can happen at any time. This can happen. So don't be discouraged if you've been friends with somebody for years and nothing seems to have happened. This can happen at any time. There's a sudden breaking in of God's kingdom. And for Peter, this happened in the workplace. He was just at work one day, and suddenly the kingdom of God broke in. And the nets were so full that the boats began to sink. The fish were so large, he couldn't miss them. And it was breaking his nets. The catch was so valuable that they were back in business again although the catch nearly sank their boats. See, Jesus knew how to get to Peter's heart, not just his brain. And I suggest that it wasn't the teaching that caught Peter. He wasn't wired that way. Yeah, great teaching, great, but that didn't get him. Even the miracles that took place in this house didn't seem to get him. I'm just suggesting that to you. I've got That's just what I feel as I've been reading the passage. But when Jesus started to speak to him about his business. 
when Jesus walked in one day and turned around his family business, something woke up. It was a eureka moment, and, and somehow it all made sense. And you see, discipleship without supernatural intervention, without a supernatural element to it, is no different to life coaching or mentoring. It's helpful and even educational, but those things, and greatest respect to people who do those things, but in the end, they are, they are usually not life-changing in a fundamental way. They can be helpful along the way, but those bits of advice are unlikely to change your life. And for your friends, you want them to encounter Jesus. You want them to be stopped in their tracks. <laughs> You want them to move from A to Z overnight because they've had an encounter with God. You can speak to them, you can advise them, you can give them all this stuff for years, so into that, but until God turns up and the light goes on in their eyes, they're not going to become followers of Jesus. The revelation's got to come. You can't be a true follower of Jesus without an encounter with him. And I don't just mean one either. If you're a Christian today, the encounter you had 10 years ago isn't enough. We need to encounter him every day. We need to encounter him regularly. If you've not had an encounter with Jesus recently, you need to ask him for one. We need to live for encounters with his power. Yeah, I just, I just want to say that again, actually. I, you know, too many people will, will cruise along. In Christianity, and they've not had their lives changed recently. I mean, I shared with you last week, I've just had a, a moment with God where He's just turned me upside down. I've been a Christian since I was four years old, which is more than 20 years now. But I found that He catches me time and time again and changes my life. And that's what it's got to be a series of supernatural encounters. And that's what we need to look for and pray for. Get your own stories. And you can bring your friends into those stories too. Some of the best conversations I've ever had with work colleagues have been around encounters with God that I've had. You know, they asked me about why are you a Christian? I said, well, actually, I had this encounter with God and this stuff happened. I find that people are generally more open and receptive after that than with arguments. So that's what we need to pray for. We need to pray that our friends encounter God. Change the conversation slightly. Start asking questions about dreams that they might be having. Or when you hear of unusual coincidences, pick up on it. When they start talking about strange goings-on, an atmosphere they felt, jump on that. Because that's the beginning of the kingdom of God, the spirit world, if you like, <laughs> starting to break into their lives. So it was this supernatural encounter that ultimately caused Peter to fall on his knees and he was completely undone by it. And he began to cry out, Lord, leave me alone because I'm a sinful man. And this confession, which everybody has got to come to that place where they recognize that they're sinful and need Jesus. And this confession was all that was needed for an introduction to the friend of sinners. The introduction to the friend of sinners. It was this cry of depart from me that, that was the recognition of his true state and the nature of his being. When 
faced with the power of God, it's our need, our sinfulness that is exposed more than anything else. Really. If you truly encounter God, that's the thing you'll come away with. Boy, I need to change. Boy, I need God to do something in my life. And you can't be a follower of Jesus without it. I've picked up this phrase, I love it. Humility is the elevator to spiritual greatness. Humility is the elevator to spiritual greatness. Peter falls on his face and Jesus, by his response, lifts him up. Because it's in our weakness we're made strong. It's in our meekness that we are made great by the power of God. It's in the confession of our sinfulness that we can ever be made righteous. This is because Jesus sends and qualifies sinners to save sinners. Did you know that? He doesn't wait until you're perfect. He doesn't send out pristine, otherworldly types who are too proud of their clean hands to dirty them with the troubles of others. We can all go out into the world with not a superior self-righteous attitude, but knowing what we really deserve. With a kind of a humility, knowing that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we don't judge other people because we know what we're capable of. And because we really know who the friend of sinners is. <laughs> That's how we can go out. I know. I know the depths of what you've sunk to. I know how disqualified you are, how unworthy you feel. But, you know, I've met the friend of sinners. And he doesn't judge us. He forgives us. So that we don't have to be judged. <laughs> Jesus wanted Peter as his right-hand man, but not as a self-reliant businessman but a man who'd be prepared to learn a new family business, a business that only makes one product, other friends becoming disciples and followers of Jesus. Now, he wanted Peter involved in rescuing friends that are lost in the deep. <laughs> that was the picture. He says, go and let your nets out into the deep and pull them in. People that are lost in deep stuff, big problems that we'll need help to bring in. <laughs> We won't be able to do it on our own because it might sink our family boat. If we are the ones that take on all the problems of the world, we can't do it. We need to be able to do this together. We need other boats to come alongside. Big problems, big, deep. I don't know, are, you, are we prepared to make friends with people like that? People that might have big needs and big problems. That's what it takes to make disciples of Jesus. But listen, let me say this. We might have to make friends with people that have had deep stuff and deep experiences that we don't even identify with, but don't be content with just being friends and accepting it as that way forever. Because actually what we need to look for is the supernatural. We need to look for the breakthrough. We need to look for the kingdom of God breaking in. Because for years I had this thing of I've got to fix everybody. I've got to try and help everybody, fix everybody. And I realized after a while I wasn't very good at it. I could make some great advice and good suggestions, but in the end I had to learn to wait until I saw the supernatural hand of God and then I found that people were more open and that they could be healed. We need to look for the supernatural because when that happens, suddenly things get a whole lot easier. But Peter and his companions are overwhelmed at the display of Jesus' power. 
So much so that Jesus has to reassure them not to be afraid. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great to see Jesus' power like that in our workplaces, in our communities, in our families? So they pull up their nets and leave everything to follow him. Let me just summarize. Discipleship starts and ends with friendship. And these friendships can happen anywhere. And friends can come in all different shapes and sizes, so we need to learn to speak their language and meet them where they are. But in the end, what we want is for our friends to become friends of God. And this takes a supernatural event. It takes friendship along the way, but it takes a supernatural event, a moment when God breaks into their lives and introduces himself as the friend of sinners. He's a friend of mine. Which means that we need to make a whole load more friends, doesn't it? We need to make a whole load more friends. Thank you for that. Yes. (laughs) I just want to be honest with you. This is a huge challenge for me. How do I fit it in? And I found also working for the church, I don't have a lot of unbelieving friends anymore. I used to have loads and now I have so few. Although a neighbor just invited us around for a meal. Yes. So this is my challenge too. How do I find these friends? How do I, we're going to come on to that, talking about the man of peace and all that kind of thing. But I just want to say I'm on this journey too. I'm learning about this. It's great to hear uh, Chris's story about these three friends he has coffee with. I am suspicious about that, knowing Chris, because I know it's just about coffee for him, really. <laughs> so if you ever offer Chris a coffee, he'll be there. It's, uh, so I'm a bit suspicious about that. But actually, if that's what it starts as, that's that's where it goes. Just be friends. Just drink coffee with people and see what God does. And then there's the time it takes. You know, how do we fit it in? But the thing that struck me from looking at Jesus' example is, well, we all eat, don't we? I mean, you just go around Peter's house and eat with them and be with the family. So we all eat, don't we? We all go out shopping, don't we? We can take somebody else, we can meet somebody else, we can invite other people into our home. Or family events, like next weekend, there's a family event. We're going to thank God for some children. We can all invite people to that, can't we? So anyway, it's just a few ideas. But listen, there's a big job for us to do. And for some of us, I just want to be real with you, there's challenges in it. (laughs) For some of you, it's like you've been out all night already and you've caught nothing. And actually, you're pretty tired, and you know the thought of going out again. Oh my goodness, really? Do we have to hear this again? But I just want to say prophetically that this is a new season. I know prophetic people always say that, but I really believe <laughs> this is a new season for us. Jesus is here at Jubilee, and He is daring us to put our nets out on the other side of the boat. Even if we might be tired, don't know exactly what might be involved. And when you pull in these kinds of halls, you never know what you might drag in from the deep. But I believe that there is a grace on us for this. And I need it myself. A grace on us for this. To reach out and make friends of people and introduce them ultimately to Jesus. And so Jesus' words to Peter apply to us too. Don't be afraid. We're just following our best friend Jesus on the mission that he's called us on together. And whether it's at work, in your community or family, 
I believe Jesus is going to lead us to bring many people into the kingdom of God. So I'm just going to finish with reading the passage. There you go. And then I'm going to pray for us. So Matthew, Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. So you can see how accurate my retelling was. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. When Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So he pulled up their boats on the shore and left everything and followed him. The amazing thing for me is that Jesus was targeting Peter, but he got the rest of them too at the same time. One, They got four for the price of one. Now that's multiplication, isn't it? Let's just pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, it's such a, a pleasure to follow you, to know you. There's a cost involved, but Lord, the benefits outweigh the costs. Lord, we love being with you. We love knowing you. And Lord, I just want to pray for each one of us that we'd know this time of favor and that you'd give us many multiples of friendships. I pray, Lord, you'd give us people like Peter who would lead us to three other people just like that overnight. Lord, we pray that you'd lead us into a phase of whole families being saved. We want to thank you for what we've already seen. But Lord, we say now multiply, multiply. We bring the little that we've had to the one who multiplies the loaves and the fishes. And we say, Lord, multiply what we have. The one neighbor that's invited us around. I pray, Lord, that would be multiplied. The one person we spoke to at the shop, multiply it, Lord, wherever we go. Lord, we want to be on a mission with you. We want you to catch us up in your mission to bring in many, many people to your kingdom, many people into your family business. So, Lord, we just offer ourselves again to you. Yes, Lord, some of us are tired. Some of us have tried. Some of us have been disappointed. Lord, we bring that to you too and say, Lord, send us again. Commission us again. Encourage us again. Equip us again with fresh wind, fresh fire. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.